Yeah. Hey, I know this guy in the Chinese mafia. <sighs> Let me guess. I uh, gave you an offer. He gave me an offer I can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to the Whiskey Sippers Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve. And what are we talking about this week, Steve? Um, the Mafia. Ooh. And bootlegging. And bootlegging. Bootlegging mobsters. In part 27 of our... <laughs> part number four. Of our prohibition. Prohibition series. Ooh. Yeah, we're getting into the, uh, the old meat and potatoes. The meat and potatoes of the meat and taters. Yep. Meat and two veg. Gentlemen, <laughs> two kernels. <laughs> Your giggle stick. <laughs> so, yeah, a few topics, a few prohibition topics today. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, quick recap. Um, so, first episode, we talk about the history of American bourbon. Mm-hmm. And then um, we talked about the history of the Prohibition, mm-hmm. followed by last uh, episode, we did cocktails in the speakeasy. Okay. So, yeah, we were kind of leaving off to like where things really started to get ugly and showing that things didn't work and people wanted to drink anyway. Um, Fun stuff. Yeah. Cool. So the Volstead Act banned the production, transport, and sales of liquor, but the drinking continued. I can't wait to see them in concert. Who? Volstead. Oh, yeah, they're pretty good. They're good. Even, uh, you know who's even better? Who? Volbeat. Oh, yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Volstead Act. So what was that? <clears throat> I've heard of it. You heard of it. So I've that's it. the, the uh, what, 18th Amendment? What you call it, Empire there? What's that show that's on? Um, Boardwalk. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. They talk I haven't about seen that. The Al Capone and all that. But yeah. the Volstead Act is mentioned in that. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the 18th Amendment that, that made... You know prohibition and people had to find ways Bastards. to still you know consume it so they went underground to the speakeasies uh but still led us to the pro the problem of like how do you get the actual booze to the consumers so hmm. somebody had to make it and somebody had to move it and you couldn't sell it so you had to get it there some other way it couldn't be caught yep so you had to have some bad dudes with some connections some guns some suits some fast cars yeah, some boats, <laughs> boats and hoes. Boats and hoes and cars and guns and zoot suits and all kinds of stuff. Flappers. <laughs> Flappers, skirts. I've worn one or two. I actually haven't. I'm just kidding. So that uh, leads us, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get to all the good stuff in a minute, but okay. we're going to go right into our whiskey pick. Um, I picked out George Remus, the straight bourbon whiskey. Because um, if you don't know, uh, George Remus... This bourbon was named after a legendary uh, whiskey guy uh, who was known for operating on both sides of the law during Prohibition. So he was the lawyer slash bootlegger, known as the king of the bootleggers. Figures a lawyer would be the, the dirty, underhanded well, guy to do the bootlegging. Those are the guys that, like, figured it out. <clears throat> yeah, they knew the law. Yeah. So why not? So And the, uh, the bottle's pretty cool. It's got a picture of him on there. He looks like he looks like an Al Capone-esque-looking like guy. Such a Remus. Looks like he's bagged a few people. Yeah, right. Looks like he's been in on a few hits. <laughs> yep. So uh, this part- particular bottle uh, is a straight bourbon whiskey uh, from MGP. Um, we'll get into that in a second. Um, it's their entry-level bourbon. So it's a 94-proof, um, what is that, 47% alcohol? 94, yeah. 94, yep. 94 proof, 47%. Yep. Pardon me. Is everything okay? Yeah, I'm good. I just ate. 
Oh, okay. Do you have anything good? It's my reflux. Oh, yeah. okay. I had Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> That's... You I don't got know. that ready just for that? I don't know. It was just on there, so okay. I figured it was I mean, apropos. Are, but I did have Chi- I did have Chinese food. We are talking about Bob, Bobsters. <laughs> I won't play so that we're anymore. We're like, hey, what? Wow, we are going right off the rails already. <laughs> this is just bad. <laughs> yeah, we've been like laughing and joking around for like twenty minutes. So, so yeah, uh, George Remus. Yeah, tell, so tell us more and MGB is the uh, maker of this. And I don't know if you've heard of MGP before. I know I've mentioned it a million times. Oh, Midwest Grain Products? Yes. Yes. So it's kind of like the open secret of many, many craft distilleries. So mm-hmm. uh, essentially is the company that uh, other brands purchased their booze from, like their whiskey. So essentially MGP is like the father company that provides all the whiskey f- for like a good portion of many of the whiskey brands. Okay. Which is kind of kind of wild when you think about it. So they distill, they age they age and sometimes even bottle the whiskey for their clients. It's like, what? So that's how somebody wants to open up like a craft distillery somewhere yep. and they don't have enough booze because they have to age their own booze. Mm-hmm. They can order it from MGP. MGP yep. will bottle it for them under their distillery name. Yep. <clears throat> they can sell that until their booze is aged enough to be able to start releasing their own. Yeah, pretty much. Like they, uh, what does it say? They, they offer five different bourbons and three different rye mash bills. So you can kind of, you know, pick whatever mash bill you want. You can, you know, how old you want it. You know, it's going to cost different prices depending on, you know, how much you, you pick, which mash bill, how old it is. And you can kind of go from there. And it, it's, you know, as it's like, they say it's an open secret. If you look on the back of a bottle of whiskey, you can probably grab one off the shelf that you know isn't like pretty obvious. That one's obvious. <laughs> like grab that Redemption one. I'm not sure who makes them. Uh, but on the back, it'll say distilled in uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, which means it's an MGP product. Redemption whiskey distilled in the Indiana heartland, bottled by Bardstrom Barrel Selections, Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. So that's the place that they. Yeah. Uh, so pretty close. So you know, lot- me, that redemption weeded bourbon is awesome. By the way, yeah, it is. It's really good. I am a fan. But let's stick to the Remus. Yeah. Um. So you kind of think like, all right. So there, a lot of these brands are purchasing their whiskey from like a parent company. Mm-hmm. So like, what makes you know what makes one different or better than the same? Like, why aren't they all just like five different types of whiskey? Yeah. So it kind of gets narrowed down to three different key factors which is the barrel selection, the filtration, and then adding water to like a barrel strength product. And so that essentially like changes the flavor and give it like its unique qualities when like compared to like other whiskey brands. So like you could have bought the same mash bill in the same age, but it really depends on like how you finished it. So the finishing is the important part in the end notes of the bourbon yeah like some of them will say like non-chill filtered a lot of like tennessee ones will say like uh was it charcoal filter Mm -hmm. so that kind of changes the flavor they'll cut it to or proof it to get that proof otherwise it'll be barrel strength so this one's 94 proof so it's cut down a little bit um do they cut this with water yeah okay so you know it depends where you source the water from So that was like a big sell for Kentucky brands because they're like, oh, our river is better than yours. 
Yeah, how much minerals are in the water, all the different – different because they they got to test the water. Yep. They've got to be like, all right, we want this much, you know, not too much calcium, not too much. It's got to affect the flavor of the bourbon. It's kind of, I mean, think compared to other things like uh, like scotch, mm-hmm. you know, it's very big in like their water source or even like <clears throat> beer. Like look at Coors, like the whole rocky water thing is, is like a big sell for theirs. Mm. Which they add a lot of water to that. Of course. Coors Light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and another thing they've... Goodness. Yeah, it's delicious. It or uh, Geneseo. The Jenny Screamers. Dude, Genese- you don't want to drink that water. Dude, Genesee, Jenny Cream Ale yeah. was Woo. one of my favorite beers to drink when I was younger. Back in the day? It tasted good. It did. You, you, don't, you can still get it. It did before you knew better. <laughs> yeah, before you drank too much of it, never drank it again. Mm-hmm. Jenny Scream or something. Oh, like that. Go, go on. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, like another <laughs> thing that's becoming more popular that we've definitely sampled in the podcast is finishing it, mm-hmm. like in a wine, rum, uh, beer barrel, things like that. You know, and it's, a, and it's a shorter amount of time. You know, it's months compared to years when they finish them. By the way, how many months have we been finishing that... Uh whistle pig whatever in the barrel of your house um it's been a few months it's been up upwards to six months i think yeah weren't we weren't we well we were thinking for six months and see how it tasted we were gonna do like six months and then we were gonna we we're aiming for a year but we didn't know if it was gonna be too like oaky yeah um we should probably break that open soon we should <clears throat> i completely forgot about that it's just been sitting there I did. I did two of them. I did a whistle pig piggyback, and then I think I did like a benchmark or something, which is like your. I thought we did Sazerac. No, no, we did whistle pig because I remember getting a bottle. We, we did. Yeah, we put a couple. We should have just in. done Sazerac. It would have been cheaper. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I'm curious. You know, how it's going, yeah. But we should. I didn't even think about. it. I just realized that we did it just after my surgery, mm-hmm. and that was eight months and ago. You, yeah, nine months ago. Yeah, so we're probably at six months. <clears throat> Somewhere's in there. Oh, my surgery to repair my. Torn, testicles torn tendon testicle tendons <laughs> yeah how did you do that again oh well that was it's a long story but it's uh it's uh uh the middle of coitus oh okay intercoitus inter inter it was an intercoitus injury <laughs> apparently apparently it wasn't was it or it was inter not parry yeah no it was it, it was inter intercoitus did it go go from inter to parry no, no well, uh, okay, let's, long story short. Yep. <clears throat> Apparently, grizzly bears are not sound sleepers. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that. Uh, that's good to know. <laughs> no, no, no. a good fact to... Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. Well, so, let's go on about Mr. MGP. Re- talking about reaming. <laughs> so they've been uh, creating booze for other companies for many, many years, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't actually see when they started making this but it's relatively soon right at the beginning yeah yeah um <laughs> he's all shot now <laughs> he's like where, where was I, I don't know what year but it was more recently that they actually started uh selling uh, a brand of their own which is the george remus brand so i think they have three different bottles they have who's, of whose own mgps this is mgps this is mgps brand, brand. this is their not brand. something they made for somebody else this is no. their own brand this is their own brand okay that's why it makes this kind of interesting is, uh, yeah. So they they did a George Remus uh, straight bourbon whiskey. I think they have a barrel strength, and then they have, like, some fancy schmancy one. I think it's all – I think it's actually, like, called the Volstead or something like that. Ooh. So it's all very prohibition, you know, kind of thing. So it kind of fit right into this. Actually, if anybody's seen or thinks of watching Boardwalk Empire, there's actually a whole part of that um, show 
where George Remus is sitting talking to other gangsters and telling them about how, you know, hey, you could buy your whiskey for me because it can't, about the transport. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Have you, I haven't I seen I saw it. a clip of it. Check it out. I'm gonna, okay. I, I put it on here. Say. We're looking to keep business steady. Oh, it's great. No heartbreak. No blood on the floor. Right from George Remus, there won't be any. Remus owns the distilleries and the pharmacies they're allowed to sell to. Even better, Remus owns the trucks that hijack his own liquor. <laughs> That's a neat trick. No trick, my boy. Remus read the Volstead Act very closely. Because he's an attorney, oh, wow. so he knows exactly. Wow. It was yeah, and now I want to watch it. I was like, hey, I got no desire, but after we researched this, and I was looking through, I was like, I really want to. I want to see this because a lot of what we're talking I'm gonna about have today to watch was, that. is in that. Okay, and I was like, holy shit. So crazy. is it like all <laughs> prohibition, like gangster that stuff? That whole era, yeah. It's oh, that whole era. Cool. Al Capone, Bugsy Malone, whatever his name is, there, George Remus, <laughs> Post Malone or pre Malone. I don't know. Post <laughs> you oh see those my. memes with Post oh. Malone in there? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah. <laughs> joke. Yeah, so, anyway. So, eventually, good old Georgie boy was uh, arrested and convicted, and <laughs> and then he uh, was the inspiration for the title character of The Great Gats- Gatsby, mm-hmm. which is uh, was that, that book from... Uh, I read that book. F. Scott Fitzgerald. I read that book. I have no idea what it was about. Okay. I went out, bought the Cliff Notes. And he wrote drank. The, wrote the report. <laughs> he drank his party boy. Um, which Old Fitzgerald bourbon. That should be like another episode. Yeah. A little spendy to get get our hands on that one. Well, Old Fitzgerald had a farm. Did he? Yeah. And on that farm, he had some bourbon. E. I. I. E-I. He had some rye. Rye. E. Rye. Some oats. B. Rye. Rye oats. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so bad. <laughs> I don't have it. Stupid. What did I do? So, I did something wrong. All here. right, back okay. to the whiskey. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. So it doesn't state the mash bill, but you know they have five mash bills, mm-hmm. and it seems mostly corn with like a high rye. So the argument is that it's the sixty percent corn, thirty six percent rye, four percent malted barley mix. But they don't release it, so you don't really know. I don't know. That's just a guess. Uh, aged for about five-ish years, also doesn't say. Uh, valued about 40 bucks. I think I got that in and around that. Mm-hmm. Let's take a gander. Let's do this. Hey, cheers. That smells good. Ooh, smells very Pledge Furniture Polishy. Really? No. <laughs> Ooh, you know what? It does actually smell pretty good. Yeah, I like that. I do too. You're going to try it? Oh, Steve's taking a sip. He's staring at me intently. The tongue's moving around. Oh, that's quite nice. It tastes. It sounds delicious. Oh, I like that. They did well on this one. Did they? Hmm. It's not like a kick you in your pants, end of the world, like this is the best ever, but this is solid. Oh, it is. It's a solid drink. You get a little bit of the... uh, like a like a higher proof whiskey, you get a little bit of the sting in your nose. Yep. But it goes away really quickly. Yeah. And a lot of the flavor comes through. So it doesn't overshadow the flavor of the of the whiskey. It's not like, you know, oh, I need need an ice cube. Yeah, a lot of uh caramel. <clears throat> I get some like fruit and maybe a little hint of like chocolate or cherry or something like that. I can't, can't rye really bread. some something candy. <clears throat> and then like the rye bread. Get some rye at the end. Maybe some pepper. 
pepper, like like a piece of, lye, of rye bread. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Like a slice of rye in Yeah, a so it's got to be that. Yeah, I, I see the high rye in there. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it's good. I like it. I like it. That's a two thumbs up. Yeah, you do that, and then you get all the pepper rye and, like, leather. Yeah, Oak. at the end of it, it's kind of like, yeah. ooh. <clears throat> yeah, tastes like a man. man tastes like a, like a man in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Ooh. Oh, time to take a break after that one. Yeah. I'm going to go rinse this out. Okay, we're back. It's a good oh, thing you had those uh, wet wipes. <laughs> Sorry, it's really a helped te- out. Technical yeah, difficulty. That's disgusting. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Last <clears throat> time I mentioned that. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. That was a lot of vomit. <laughs> <laughs> you, so, you did have chicken, didn't you? I did. And dumplings. How can you tell? Yeah, well, Dump, dumplings. Dumplings. Actually, I ordered it like that. How you old are? How you how you old are? Okay, go ahead. So yeah, I'm getting a lot of. Yeah, you're right. I get the uh, um, earth, not earthy, but uh, pepper, leather, rye, like a piece of rye as, bread. As that's the how joke, it finishes. That's like the the manly side of bourbon. Yeah, exactly, of exactly. It started out very sweet and subtle, and some of the candy, you know, vanilla <clears throat> stuff, and yeah, chocolate strong. I I like it a lot. I like how it finishes. It's not too, yeah, not too much man in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It'll go a long way. <laughs> oh boy! All right. So, so prohibition. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Woo! So we kind of started to get in when we we're talking about the MGP. We started talking about like the sourcing of like alcohol, and you know, kind of, kind of excited me that like the prohibition spirit still lives on. That they're still like. Moving some stuff around, buying from each other, stuff like that. Sounded kind of like prohibition esque. Yeah. Um, so as the prohibition laws began to like, uh, like become like a reality across the country, remember that individual states started this, and then it like moved into like you know, well, it was cities and like local regions, and then turned like statewide, and then became like a federal thing with the passing of the Volstead Act. But you know what? Surely, but surely. Slowly but surely. Surely but surely. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. Yeah, I was just thinking of the, uh, was the airplane? Surely you can't be serious. <laughs> yeah. I am serious. Don't call me Shirley. Surely but surely. What, what is wrong with me? Wow. Um, slowly but surely is how the saying goes. Um, you know, booze just, you know, was either just completely wiped off the face of the earth <laughs> You're still laughing at that? Yes. <laughs> Should we take a break? No, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm, sorry. <clears throat> I just, I'm stupid. I, I admit to that. Uh, I say things that I don't mean. Sometimes. There are no stupid questions. But there are a lot of inquisitive idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Please go on. Um, so bootleg and uh, 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 a prohibition. Prohibition. Yeah. So like you know, it, it wasn't like this immediate like disappearance of liquor, but you know as it's slowly ramped up certain places worse than another, you know, like they went through and just raided bars and shut them down and, you know, uh, got rid of all the, the sourced alcohol from the, uh, the different factories and the, the places that they stored them, like the warehouses and such. Yeah. And it just became really hard to get it. So, um, America 
as a whole just had to find a way to get liquor in general. And that's kind of where the like rum running and the bootlegging industry got their like kickoff. Yeah, somebody needed transport. Yeah. Yeah. And these terms were essentially, you know, still used to the to this day for like an illegal operation of like smuggling booze, so moving it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it came from the Caribbean, it came from Canada, and really across the world, you know, mostly the UK, because you had like the scotch and stuff like that. Um, and then of course he had like the moonshine in the country. And as we talked about last uh, episode, the industrial al- alcohol. Remember when you used to make mixtapes or you used to, people used to go and record concerts on cassette tape Yep. and you make bootleg copies. Yep. There you go. That's essentially what it is. Bootleg copies of like Pearl Jam. <clears throat> well, horrible. I mean, nobody could understand the man anyway. Even oh no, it's great. I like Pearl Jam. <laughs> I, I mean, I love Pearl Jam, but do you know any of the lyrics? Do you know any of Bob Dylan's lyrics? <laughs> well, point <laughs> taken. You know, a couple strings of a guitar and. The hell did he say? I don't know. I think he's asking where the bathroom is. <laughs> okay, Bob. Knock yourself out. You're not too high or anything. Well, that's why he makes whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> we will do a new one soon. I hope so, because that last one hurt a lot. Yeah, we need to redeem ourselves. Yeah, we do. Okay, go on. So let's talk about bootlegging. Bootlegging! Bow, so bow. This term actually yes. predates to the Civil War, in before, which. Uh, before boots? No, after boots. Before legs. So the Civil War, (laughs) soldiers began to uh, sneak liquor into the into the army camps uh, by concealing it in like you know pint-sized bottles within like their boots or in their trouser legs. No kidding. Yeah. So bootleg. (laughs) So it's essentially like a canteen style. That's where bootlegging actually came from. Yeah, it's just like they sneak it in boots and they just hit it. Shit. Underneath their clothes. That I did not know. So they started to make like these canteen style flasks. Um, in like a specific shape to help it like wrap around like their hip or like actually put inside. Like, I don't know if you ever wore cowboy boots. There's yeah. like, you know, the opening at the top is, you know, some, it doesn't conform to like your leg. Yeah, you can stuff things in you there. You can stuff things in there. Like a flask fits perfectly in there. So if you go out, you know, uh, to the country, to like a, a, rode- a rodeo, or you go, you know, like a college football game. A lot of mm-hmm. people wear cowboy boots, and you can sneak in a flask. A hold down. <laughs> Got a hold down over here. Right, call nine one one. Go on now. <laughs> Is that like the difference between a hooker and a prostitute? <laughs> what do you call a hooker with a runny nose? What full? <laughs> Go on, please continue. Uh, so they said more flasks were sold in the first six months of prohibition than in any other period in history. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, there's an unknown source, but, you know, it's possible. I trust the guy. Yeah, it was on the internet. Yeah, that's what I read. You can't put it on the internet if it's not true. You know, flasks are sold. (laughs) This must be. This must be accurate information. Yeah. So, um, so. We'll we'll pretend the CDC wrote it. That's got to be true. Oh, Jesus. Don't go there. I'm sorry. So, after the Volstead Act Mm -hmm. was passed, uh, actually, no. Like right before the Volstead Act was passed, Canada started facing the same problems with prohibition. So initially, America was providing the Canadians with liquor to kind of undermine the support of the government's push to prohibition, which apparently it worked. Uh, but 
the their prohibition was a little bit different in that they weren't actually the manufacturing of liquor wasn't banned just the uh actually i think it was the manufacturing for export wasn't um banned so they can manufacture so they can make drink it, they, it in the country yeah <clears throat> they just couldn't export the liquor to other countries yeah it's not prohibition. it was it was no 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 it was the other way around was it, so they can make it they couldn't drink it but they could they could export they it. could export it to other countries who did drink it yeah okay so in the beginning we were providing them with their liquor and they were still making it so they're stockpiling it so it's getting good and oh, then okay. when american prohibition set in uh they were a huge source of they power. helped to run they helped to run whiskey down to the u.s because the u.s did it for them yeah that's always nice so it's like a big family moving into this prohibition era as they were calling it mm-hmm. you know these smugglers a lot a lot of them were the were the gang the soon to be mobsters or whatever they were just local gangs and stuff already had their contacts they had their routes they already had their process kind of like set up for this prohibition they already had the police paid for they already had they uh, control over law enforcement and stuff like but, that but i mean you got to remember it started out as a local thing so you know it it wasn't just like whammo just overnight <clears throat> we're getting rid of everything it, it was like an insidious process so but i mean these these uh crime syndicates Yep, they already. I'm sure they already had judges and cops on their payroll before this happened. So yeah, it's just I mean, a matter of, hey, listen, we're going to do this. You're going to look the other way. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard for them to control the people that could make it go away. And in that you time, know? the politicians and the police were well known for being corrupt. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, how is it different than any other time? <laughs> different than today. <laughs> so, in addition to um, bootlegging, there's rum running. <gasps> which is, uh, you know, the transport of alcohol via water. And so that's how we got, you know, obviously we had to get them from other places. So, we, you know, the uh, rum came from the Caribbean and Europe. We got like other whiskeys and scotch. Um, and then like France, we got some cognac and some champagne and such and, and wine in Germany and beer and vodka and stuff like that came from Russia. So we got stuff from all over, but, you know, they weren't flying planes in that time. You know, it was the 20s. Yes, all by they, boat. My boat. So the run runners. Yep. There's uh there's uh songs about that. Run Are running. There? Yeah, about you know, hey, listen, you know, you, you might take a you know, people were dying to run this liquor and stuff across there, so you know you could take our lives, never take our booze. It's like a kind of a kind of a comical oh, funny cool. song about the rum runners and hey, we need you to come, you know, come on, we're running we're running we're running dry, bring you know, when are you gonna show up? Yeah, and there's there's a lot of stories like I didn't really get into the rum running because I think it's t- like it's just a cool idea. Maybe we can talk about it some other time, but like it gets really in depth because it was very lucrative and a lot of the alcohol came from outside of the uh, of North America, so it had to be moved via water. Mm-hmm. And they actually set up like a rum row, uh, which was offshore from the coast. So I don't know if it was like islands or just like docks or something, but I know. One because it was still in international water, so that how they kind of got around the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also took the barrels and they threw them. They they dumped out half of the contents and threw them overboard. So then they would float to shore and then they could retrieve them. Oh, they weren't on the boat. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so they came up with all kinds of cool ideas. Gaelic Storm came up with a cool song about that too. What was that? Rum Runner. Oh, that's what it was called. Rum Runner. Oh, now you know. Rum Runner. See? Yeah, see? Yay! 
hi, hi, hi. Okay. It's like almost like a Irish Mexican song. <laughs> well, it had a little bit of the Caribbean feel to it, it because that's, okay. that's what it was about. Was the Rum Runners? Oh, back to the jazz music. Sexy time. Uh, uh. Okay, so. Oh, how my pants get to my feet? I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about the mob. So the point here is that there was a large demand for alcohol, mm-hmm. which created like a business opportunity. You know, some dirty guy, some tough guy needed to figure out a way to get the alcohol to the people. So this is where you insert the organized crime idea known as the mafia or even more appropriately as the mob. The Mothers and Fathers Italian Association? Yes. Mothers and Fathers Italian. Oh, yeah. You're right. There is no mafia, Steve. There's no such thing as a mob. Well, I use the term mob. I wrote a note for this. Cosa Nostra? I don't know what that means. That's in in Italy. Is that an island? No, it's the mob. Okay. The mafia. Okay. So the mob... Because the mafia specifically speaks to the Italian mob. Yes, that's true. The mob being organized crime. The mob crime. being like the bigger umbrella uh, because this was a business opportunity. And throughout the prohibition, you kind of see patterns of this is that they learned, you know, yeah, there was a lot of infighting and people getting schwacked. Um, or is that something else? Schwacked. <laughs> it's like a whacked and swing at the same time. Yeah. Schwacked. It's like you get shot, you get a boner. <laughs> I get so excited. I, I Every sh- time I shoot them in the face. Oh, you're I like, get so excited. You're like, I'm going to schwack you now. <laughs> oh, I got the schwack. I got schwacked. <laughs> Boing. Go was a Jewish. It kind of has almost a little Jewish. It kind of sounded Jewish. Yeah. So, oh, you're smacking me now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? <laughs> oh, you're not going to smack me. No, I'm not going to smack me. <laughs> what a world, what a world. <laughs> Made a Schwartz be with you. <laughs> That's so great. Um, <clears throat> they started to learn these business opportunities in, in order to expand and ultimately have control over the operation to make it safer is that they needed to realign and partner with each other. Oh, yeah. Which meant the Irish, the Italians, and as we joke, the Jewish all work pretty damn well together. Striking up deals left and right. Yep. Not intimidating, influencing others (laughs) to see. (laughs) Be careful. Forget about it. What happened there? I'm going to make him an offer. What? There's another guy. So uh, the term organized crime didn't really exist prior to the prohibition. Really? Yeah. I mean, essentially, like kind of what we're saying, it it used to just be corrupt politicians were like the problem. So, you know, because they, you know, intimidated candidates. They didn't intimidate anybody. Yeah, they did. You know, they paid off the cops. They funnel the votes. Intimidated kept, the bankers. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's how they did that it. That never happened. You know, the police turned a blind eye. You mean like this? If you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your fucking head wide open in front oh, of everybody in the I bank. love this guy. And just about the time that I'm coming out of jail, hopefully, you'll be coming out of your coma. And guess <laughs> what? I'll split your fucking head open again. You schwack him? Because I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about jail. <laughs> True story. So the prohibition... <laughs> Was the perfect op- opportunity that create that like power struggle shift, uh-huh. and left essentially like a void for like the mobsters to like step in, because prior to that they were just like these lowly street gangs, these thugs, 
you know, gambling and just pushing pushing drugs and guns and you know whatever they did around, and then just this vacuum happened during the prohibition, and they they just opened up this this brand new business that someone needed to take over, and you know, being the tough guys in the street, they were yeah. able to control it and they were able to move things, and just the perfect opportunity. Yeah, it was so. kind of like a. You're right. It was like a, what do you call it? not like a, a crime of opportunity, but it was a, it was a, a cascade of like, hey, it's here for the taking. Yep. Somebody needs to exploit it. Yep. You know, if you're not going to do it, then somebody's got to. Yeah, and like a what they say, the key to success of this like bootlegging operation was the ability to like lead an organization, almost like a paramilitary organization, mm-hmm. but like lead it from a business perspective, because it was a lot about money. It wasn't just about like you know selling cigarettes and things like that. It was you know how are you going to handle money? How are you going to pay people off and grow your organization? Yeah, it's not personal, Sonny. Yep. And just, they also had business. They also had to protect people. So the mobsters were the ones that protected all these illegal uh, brewers and distillers and like the rum running operations, these boat crews and stuff like that. And they had to pay off the cops and schwack a few people here and there. Schwack a few people. I'm just gonna there. use that the whole time now. <clears throat> Schwack a few. That's people. That's the new term. You can use that. Schwacked. Yep. Schwacked. Put that in there. Freaking that in awesome. Your book. Write that down. I'm gonna say that. Yeah. I feel like I just got schwacked. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's great. It's sexual and violent in nature. It is sexual, violent nature. Just so exciting about yeah. it. I'm gonna schwack you, baby. Are you? Yes. Okay. Whatever you say. <laughs> so. <clears throat> They, yeah, they influenced, they also influenced the people, like took care of the people yeah. and the people were loyal to them. Yeah. And when one of them yeah. schwacked somebody who, you know, was screwing up their business and one of the local yokels saw it on the side of the street and they're like, hey, who did this? I don't know. I didn't see anybody mm-hmm. because the, the mobs just took care of them. Well, they kept them afraid too. Remember? Were they, were they afraid or did they Remember support? Bronx Tale? Uh-huh. Remember when he? I'm you, somewhat in, unfamiliar with that, but yes, yep, I do. Young Cologio was sitting with Sonny, who's the neighborhood gangster, and he kind of takes him under his wing, and he asks him, "Would you rather be loved or feared?" Yeah, and he tells him, "You know, I'd rather be feared." I'd rather be because loved. he's like, you know, I want to be loved. Daddy. I give him a, no. I mean, check it. Listen, no, this is what I mean. Okay, is it better to be loved or feared? That's a good question. It's nice to be both, but it's very difficult. But mm-hmm. if I had my choice, I would rather be feared. Mm-hmm. Fear lasts longer than love. Oh, mm-hmm. friendships that are bought with money mean nothing. You see how it is around here. I make a joke, everybody laughs. Mm-hmm. I know I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. <laughs> it's fear that keeps them loyal to me. Oh Jesus! So you know they go. always talk was, like that. <clears throat> yeah, they, yeah, like yeah. they're just monotone. Like, but you know what though? It's you know you keep people. Like, like he goes on to say, like the guys that work for him. He goes, I give them enough so they don't hate me, but I don't give them so much that they don't need me. And he's I mean, like, you know, they were, so I, I let them know that if they slip out of line, I can end them kind of thing. But I treat them well. Mm-hmm. So they don't hate me because I'm mean to them, but they know not to cross me. But they also so provided them. them a service and mm-hmm. a product. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they enabled them to, to have some liquor, among crazy. many things. It's just crazy how ingenious the mob was. <sighs> like, just talk about an ingenious business operation. If they, you know. Well, and we kind of mentioned that earlier is that, you know. Part of their success was the understanding that they like needed to hire accountants and lawyers to help them be successful. They couldn't just run around shooting people and yelling at them and 
trying to figure that out. They, they actually needed to play within the law. Yeah, they had, and that's why they had a lot of lawyers. Well, look at, uh, what's his name? George Remus. Yep. You know, as an attorney, he knew the law. He knew just how to get around it, just how to skirt it. Such a smart guy. And then at some point, they became so powerful and so wealthy, then they had a new problem, is what to do with all the money. And so they had to start <laughs> laundering money. They started had to creating like other businesses and and then grow their wealth even more. And it just it was a a compound like effect. It's like we just have so much money. Why do they call it laundering do? money? You're wa- you're washing um, you're washing where it came from. Essentially, you're cleaning it. So like if you throw it on a washer, yeah, just you clean the source. Take bags of them and dump them in the laundry yep. machine. Yeah, huh. that's exactly what you did. It wasn't Wonder. green anymore. They technically laundered it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Okay. No, you had, to, you had to, you know, get rid of the source of it. So you had to open up other companies and move the money around and hide where it really came from. Hmm. So like if you have like, you know, three or four other companies and they have other companies on them and various payrolls and expenses and stuff, it just eventually starts to get lost among the shuffle while you're just okay. moving stuff offshore and you just... Kind of all these diversion so tactics. Dirty money, you're making it clean. So yeah. in the end, like the Corleone olive oil company got money from all kinds of dirty sources and that would launder it through the olive oil company to yeah, to I make mean, it clean and make it legit. Politicians do it nowadays. Oh, God, they do it constantly. <laughs> it's amazing I mean, how crooked those bastards yeah, are. Must be nice, huh? Phew. I'd take a couple million. Yeah, right. Good. I won't tell. I mean, I'll schwack somebody. I'll, sh- I'll schwack you for it. <laughs> Give me a million bucks, I mean, I'll schwack you. They were known for making millions and millions a year. I think uh, I saw some random statistic like Al Capone like, made like $100 million a year. Jesus. And like back then. Back money. in the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Could you imagine that? I could imagine I that. could. Yeah. Today, I couldn't imagine I could imagine money. it. I, I could imagine <laughs> it, but, you know. <laughs> So, so let's, uh, talking let's, about the mob. Let's get, talk about some famous mobsters. Gangsters. What do you think? Vito Corleone. Who's that? The Godfather. What the hell's the matter with I, you? I, I know what it is. It was just was setting you up. You tell me. Set, he's Vito Corleone. Okay, tell me about it. Let me tell you about it. Vito Corleone was the head of the Corleone crime family. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Let me tell you more about it. Okay. Okay. Uh... See a started many years ago in good old Corleone in France. And uh Vito Corleone is the head of the Corleone crime family. He did uh, olive oil and all kinds of stuff. He was gonna be a legit business when Michael took over, came back from the military. Then he met Kay. They got married. Michael came out and took over the family business. What was their business? It was like, uh, uh, what the hell was <laughs> Oh, the olive oil. That's it, the olive oil. Oh, okay. So uh, along the line, he met a few businessmen, made him an offer they couldn't refuse. Oh, okay. He had a soft spot for his children. He died in the garden chasing his grandson. <laughs> Michael took over. He didn't get schwacked? He didn't get schwacked, no. No. I got schwacked, but I got schwacked by God. <laughs> no, go, you know, God rest his soul. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> he got swacked. Oh, thank God, he got swacked in the garden. <laughs> Did he eat a hot pepper? Like, 
You remember, he's chasing his grandson around, and his grandson's like spraying the pesticide in the thing. He probably sprayed it in his face, and he fucking died. And he's like, he's like, just drops dead. And then Michael takes over the family. I, th- I think that's the only one I didn't write on the list. What's that? That guy. How do you Cor- not write Vito Corleone? In well, list? I mean, is he, is he a real person? No, no. he's so fictional, but based on real yeah. things that happen. So I just but- wrote a, a handful of. Uh, Real people? Oh, people that actually existed? <laughs> yeah, I mean, good movie. Uh, I really liked, uh, what was your favorite like mob movie? The Godfather's probably my number one because they- It's like everyone's number well, one. Well, The Godfather was the most realistic of how that shit actually happened back then. Okay. Um, but I'd say number two would be a Bronx Tale. Okay. And then uh, Donnie Brasco. Oh, a completely different list than you. Oh my God, it was th- those those movies were awesome. Um, Casino? Casino was another great movie. What was the one? What was the other one? Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Yep. Those are my two, and then The Departed. See, The Departed was pretty good, but it was, it was it different. W- it w- it was different, but as far as like classic mob movies, yep. The Godfather, uh, followed by um, I think The Godfather Saga was great. I think they, it wasn't like you know God another one. It just continued the saga. What happened next? And all okay. the way up until Michael died. But I then, don't know uh, if I've seen it recently mm-hmm. like in a long time and i don't think when i last saw it i could appreciate it for what it was worth because mm-hmm. uh, i'm not italian i don't know i think if you watch it now and you watch you're like holy shit you i know, think you, i would like it more. a lot of the dynamic would make more sense you're like wow shit you know it's it's and then every time you watch it you learn something else like wait a minute how did he know that so-and-so was the rat and you go back and watch it again and you're like oh i didn't oh. catch that last time you know it was so involved and you know just just intricate there's such an intricate web being weaved of all different kinds of stuff and like how many eyes the, the, the don had to have in the back of his head well speaking of the don mm-hmm. let's talk about uh frank costello okay let's talk about not it. the singer okay so he was a another italian that'd be elvis costello but yes yes that's okay <laughs> it's close very close very close so he another italian mm-hmm. uh who rose at the top of new york's organized crime gang okay. uh through like gambling, okay. So he controlled a lot of a lot of the gambling in New York. Uh, he later partnered partnered with uh, Lucky Luciano. Yeah. Uh, during the the prohibition, my uncle Lucky. Yep. And they uh, got into bootlegging and were very successful with that. Uh, they also worked with Dutch Schultz, and they organized a group of the top East Coast rum runners in the largest bootlegging operation oh, known big, as the Big Seven. Big Seven, yep. yeah. So that's why he was important. Let's say Jack Diamond. Plus he was my uncle. I'm just kidding. He was uh, my uncle. Uncle, uh, uncle Costello? Gentleman Jack. Yeah, okay, Jack Diamond. Gentleman Jack. He's Irish-American gangster. So Jack Daniels. Yeah. Gentleman Jack named after an Irishman. Not even an Irish whiskey. Imagine yeah, that. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of weird that it. a bourbon's yeah. named after an Irishman. You'd think it'd be an Irish whiskey. So there's a there's there's argument over if it, it really is. I think that's just the the accepted fate of that. But mm-hmm. uh so he was another bootlegger. Uh he was in Philly in New York during the prohibition. I guess he liked to party and uh had had a lot of girls and um and then he would like throw them over the ships and stuff like that. Yeah, you don't want to kiss and tell. Yeah, he was that kind of guy. Um, so, yeah, classic, like, mob stories. Seems like, I don't know, I don't think I've ever seen a movie or anything about Jack Diamond. Really? And it kind of makes it ironic, Gentleman Jack. 
It does. Because he I, would I heard get he some had, hookers and I throw them over there. A lot of people try to kill him. Yes. And he always ended up getting like, like what's his name, uh, Teflon Don there, but he always ended up somehow not getting killed. <laughs> yeah, so he was also known as the clay pigeon of the underworld. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. So apparently he got, where is it? Uh, he got shot five times in the Hotel Monticello in Manhattan. Um, and they said the police, uh, when asked by police how he managed to walk out of his hotel room after being shot, he told them he drank two shots of whiskey first. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. So maybe that's why Jack Daniels was like, hey, he might be a good spokesperson. <laughs> Sounds kind of cool. All right, Steve, down the rest of that, Uncle Remus, and I'm getting out to 45. Let's <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> Did you have to do the 45? That stings. <laughs> so much blood. So much blood. Is that mine? Oh, God. No wonder everything's going dark. So I mentioned before uh, Dutch Schultz, mm-hmm. German-Jewish-American mobster. Uh, he also made his fortune during the bootleg business. Uh, so he operated with uh, Lucky Luciano. And let's see. Is there anything else really important with him? I think he helped out with a lot of... Uh, some of like the the spirits and stuff moved around the East Coast, and I think there's some a newer brand called Dutch Spirits that was named after him, and they're producing it in a, like a supposed like bunker that he like hid out in, and was probably shot or something someplace in New York. I heard they they may also make they also make moonshine, yeah, uh, uh, like what is it, uh, Dutch's peach or uh, Dutch's peach. Uh, brandy. Yeah, I think he was notorious for, for drinking bitters. Moon, moonshine or something like that. Boontown bitters, I think, and Dutch's yep. peach brandy. Peach brandy, yeah, Dutch's peach brandy. So kind of cool. We're kind of going around the you know Italian, German, Jewish, Irish, Dutch. It's and all then, about, it's all about family, Steve. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, don't ever 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 betray your family. Get about it. You know the theme of the Godfather? Weren't <laughs> you just playing it? Du, 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 du. Yeah, that yeah. song is called "Speak Softly, Love." It's actually about this right here. It's yeah. They call it the Godfather Waltz. Okay, but it's actually called "Speak Softly, Love." And if you listen to it, it sounds like he's talking about a woman. You know, so no one hears this but the sky. The vow of love we made will live until we die. He's actually talking about the family, mm. and that's what he's he's uh, serenading. Not serenading, but singing his like song of love and uh, loyalty to the family. That's what that song is about. And, sh- and then I shoot everybody. And then I... <laughs> but don't forget the cannolis. <laughs> don't forget the cannolis. Leave the gun. Take the cannolis. <laughs> you don't want to leave the cannolis. <laughs> Next guy up in the list. This guy's cool. Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy. Yeah, so he was the nah, most feared nah. gangster of his nah, day. Nah, see? Handsome. Nah. And charismatic. Don't look for you. Yeah. Uh, he, he was one of the founders of Murder Incorporated. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and became a bootlegger with several major East Coast cities during the Prohibition. Um, he turning the gambling. Uh, yeah, he went into gambling after the repeal of the Prohibition. Uh, yeah, he threw a bunch of parties. Uh, he moved to Beverly Hills. And he was the driving force behind the Las Vegas Strip. So I think he's the guy that's in, like, Casino. I think that's Bugsy Siegel. That's about Bugsy Siegel. Yeah, I think that's it. Hmm. So he's my he's my guy. Vegas is awesome. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas. Maybe. I've never been to Vegas. No, Only no. bad things happen in Vegas. No. Nothing that's ha- why they nothing, stay in Vegas. Nothing happens in Vegas. Nothing ever happens in Vegas. Nothing happens in Vegas. <laughs> All right, next guy, Enoch Nucky. 
Johnson. <laughs> I thought his name was really Enoch Nucky. Oh, his nickname is Nucky. I don't Nucky. Easier than Enoch. What's up, Nucky? What up, Nuck? I did it all for the Nucky. Oh yeah, that's what. It, that's okay. Yeah, not well, the not, not the not the cucky. It said that uh, Nucky uh, was at Atlantic City Racketeer, and he was into the taste of finer things in and, life and tennis, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Go on. And he uh, handball. Yes, he was a racketeer. Racketball, ping pong. Yep, table tennis. All of them. He loved them all. It, 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 there was nothing untouched by this racket. There's nothing he didn't touch with a racket. Yep. <laughs> so he was uh, noted to be spotted in nightclubs sipping on champagne. So champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, he was a, he was the Atlantic City guy. So he was also in the Big Seven group. Uh, what was one of his quotes? I think he started up the whole Atlantic City thing. Or was that Trump? <laughs> Who? Enoch Johnson? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he was way before that. We right? have whiskey, wine, women's song, and slot machines. All right. That was him. I won't deny it, and I won't apologize for it. Nope. <clears throat> Actually, he said... <clears throat> yeah, do it. What was he? Was he Jewish? Uh, you know what? This is like the only one that doesn't say his ethnicity. Uh, we have whiskey, wine, women, and song, and slot machines. Enoch Johnson. I won't deny it, and I won't apologize. <laughs> no. Is he the count? <laughs> One. Uh, uh. <laughs> we have whiskey and wine. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> we have whiskey, wine, women's song, and slot machines. I won't deny that, and I won't apologize for it. He said he also uh, rode in a chauffeur-driven power, powder blue limousine. And Rick. wore a raccoon fur coat. Rickshaw. With a red carnation in his lapel. And a white sport coat. Yep. A pink carnation. Yeah. No. And, uh, He's all dressed up. Snake skin boots. For the dance. Yep. Yeah. He's all dressed <laughs> <laughs> You ever heard that song? Oh, I'm just waiting for you to go for it. Marty Robbins. Okay, that's white, cool. White sport coat and pink right, carnation. Good, good for him. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so was he singing about him? No, he, he might have been. Was he singing about Nookie? He was singing about some Nookie. It all for the Nookie. Well, if you, if, the you, nookie. if you wear your white sport coat to the dance, you might end up with some Nookie by the time yeah. you come home. Yeah, yeesh. If, if it's actually... Yekshima. Yekshima. Jinkui. All right, one of our... All right, Mo- we're getting down on. the list. Moving on. Lucky Luciano. Born Salvatore Luciano, Italian-American mafia. Go ahead. <laughs> he was considered the father of modern organized crime. So as we mentioned numerous times, he started up this uh, group of seven mobsters that created this conglomerate. La Vamiglia. Yes. Is that what it was? So he was probably like, yeah, he probably was the suave, like, he was, he was the brains behind everything. He was that guy that just sat there and stared at you. You got done yelling and screaming, he just looked at you, and he'd be like, you know. Are you done? He'd be, he'd be like. Buddha, 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 Buddha. And he'd be like, oh, no, he's going to kill me. No, you got to do the Italian, the suave Italian. <laughs> I thought, you, you do all the mob Italian, you do the suave Italian. The suave Italian? Yeah. I, thought, I know, what the hell are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> hey, hey, sugar tits. Hey, sugar. <laughs> like, you're a say stuff like that. Why don't you come over here? <laughs> yeah, like that. Why don't you like, come over here, bring the brandy, hey, chips for everyone in the house. It's on the house. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, who's that guy? Like, Every time he walked in the club, like they picked up a table and they moved it in the front <laughs> so that he could sit at. Yeah, he was the guy. <laughs> he was that guy. He was the guy. Uh, don't ever speak out against him. 
So he takes sides. He ran the, the largest bootlegging operation in the East Coast, importing from the rum runners and from the bootleggers, um, the Canadian whiskey, the Scotch whiskey, the rum from the Caribbean. Um, so apparently, in 1929, so he didn't make it out of the prohibition. Uh, Luciano was forced in a limousine at gunpoint by three men, beaten, stabbed, and dumped on the beach of Staten Island. But guess what? He survived. And then he had like all. I was going to say, not so lucky, was he? Yeah, I know. It's kind of ironic. I mean, maybe. Right. I mean, did he get the name after? I don't know. I didn't look that deep into it. But <laughs> he might have. That might have been where he got it from. He was all scarred up and stuff because he got stabbed a bunch of times and he had mm-hmm. a scar across his face. And Scarface, the movie, was partially uh, modeled after say his life. Hello to my little friend. Yeah. <laughs> As he's like covered in like white powder, <laughs> it's like a pile on the desk. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's like one uh, big biohazard. Uh, you fuck my wife, huh? <laughs> I fucking cut you. <laughs> like, it's just like going off. <laughs> just covered in powder. <laughs> you know, that must have been so much fun to make that movie. <laughs> they must have had to stop so many times because they were all laughing. They're like, hey, 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 hey. I cut you. Then I should say hello to my little friend. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's more platanos. What a great movie. Oh, it was a good movie. All right, topping the list, Al Capone. Al Capone. So, the uh, guy with the empty vault. Thank you, Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking three weeks worth of built up anxiety over it and nothing. finally gets it and knocks down a wall and what's behind nothing. it nothing like a, a fucking raccoon skull and that's it it's like really i waited up for this my mom must have been like my mom and dad must be like we let him stay up till midnight to watch this crap empty vault <laughs> empty vault so he's the most famous gangster um he was the chick he was the chicago boss mm-hmm. so all these other all the other goons and <laughs> are in new york Philly, Atlantic City, so you know East Coast stuff, and this guy was—he was the Chicago guy, so uh, he made a ton of money. (laughs) I don't know, so what do you call him? I can't remember. Fatchagaloom, what do you call him? (laughs) (laughs) Is that with the uh, with the the water? (laughs) With the water? No, I said like. You got a water off the Malay. Oh, so Al Capone. So he was known Chicago mobster. Yeah, he was known as the modern day Robin Hood because he donated some of his uh, some of his uh, money off the top to some charitable endeavors. Of course he did. So he gave back to the people, try to keep them happy. Um, at one point, that uh, the the Lucky Seven group uh, tried enlisting him because he was, you know, he was the yeah, he's. The most famous is the, probably the most successful mobster of all, uh, so they wanted him to be part of their team, and uh, he was uh, he was in a little deep in Chicago, and they had they had some wars going on, and uh, he had to decline their offer, and uh, it didn't work out so well for him. He needed a wartime consigliere. Yeah, he needed an offer he couldn't refuse. He needed an offer he couldn't refuse. He needed to make sure he didn't take sides against the family. Yeah, so that that was that was a tough choice for him. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone mm-hmm. against the family again. Mm-hmm. Ever. There you go. Don't forget that. Or I will kill you. So I will find you. Templeton Rye and became kill you. Capone's <laughs> spirit of choice. Templeton. Yeah, that was almost our choice. Yeah, we were and almost going to drink that. I'm going to actually have a little more of this. Yeah, I might. Yeah. George Reno. This is delicious, by the way. It is delicious. And that's, that's the only bottle in New York State. You tell me when. 
Just a little. That's good. Okay. A little nip. So yeah, um, hundreds of kegs per month were supplied to Capone's gang. Uh, really? Gangs. Yep. So uh, who then fed the speakeasies throughout Chicago? So mm-hmm. my, did I tell the story? Yeah, I told the story. My first experience in a speakeasy, and you know, it was modern day, right? But it was in it was like out the outskirts of Chicago. That had to be cool. cool. It was pretty cool. I've never been to speakeasy. I've always wanted to. It was exciting for the, you know, I was like early 20s. It was exciting Mm -hmm. for like just I'm going out the bar with a bunch of people type thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think I appreciated for what it was because I'm like, I'm like the Chicago area going to a speakeasy. I'm like, I'd be a lot more geeked out now if I went. Oh, yeah. Oh, now you'd be like, I'd I'd totally appreciate it. You'd be soaking everything in. Yeah. Yeah. it's, it's, It's all about... It's like a herd of elephants Jesus running around. Sign. Someone mad? Holy shit. Someone at the uh, the feds are at the door. <laughs> I'm just talking about this. I wonder if you could hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so Capone was eventually convicted on charge of tax evasion. Of course, they got him something stupid like that. So he didn't he didn't launder his money good enough. If he got with I heard that. Lucky Luciano when he got the lawyers and accountants in, they made a they could have fixed some. They probably things. could have. I heard that. That's what finally put him away was tax evasion. Yeah, they got him for something stupid. So to the slammer. Uh, he went to Alcatraz. So a couple of these guys actually served some time in Alcatraz, which actually brings us to our our guy. What guy? Our big dick hero of the week. <gasps> My dick like the Mississippi River. My dick ass your bitch was for dinner. Yeah, Ooh, really big dick. The size of a dick does matter. Wow. Oh no. Size I hate this part. Here it comes. Oh God. Wow. Right in the face. Right in the kisser. <laughs> So, our big dick hero of the week is Whitey Bulger. <gasps> Whitey, Whitey Bulger. I don't know if you've heard of him. Bulger. Bulger. There's a song? <laughs> I just made it up. Whitey Bulger is one of the most vicious yeah, so gangsters. Modern day gangsters. He's kind of a, uh, yeah. He, so He, he just got whacked in prison just a few years ago. Yeah, he didn't, uh, he didn't make the list of the rest of the guys because he wasn't a prohibition guy. And that's why we left him off the list, but included him in this episode is because he was a notorious crime boss who, like, actually escaped uh, being captured by the Fed for many years. Actually, Mm -hmm. at one point in time, he was on America's Most Wanted list. I think he was number two behind Osama bin Laden. Was he really? Yes. That's awesome. He was that... He was that awesome. <laughs> he was that yeah, bad. So he escaped capture for so many years up until like a few hours before his death. <laughs> yeah. And I heard, I, well, never mind. I heard that uh, his death was like a mob hit. Most likely. Yeah. That's right. Most likely. Nobody so, really knows. So his story is, I think it said he was, he was an Irish guy. So whitey because he had like light skin, light hair. He actually... Hated the name um, Whitey. I thought it was because of his Southern Italian roots. No. Okay. <laughs> Irish guy. He actually preferred being called Jim. <laughs> That's what it's... I actually read that somewhere. He preferred Jim. Okay, Whitey. Okay, Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is kind of funny. So, he grew up in a poor family in South Boston. And so, he quickly learned to become a street thug. And he was well known for quickly resorting to violence so i think of him as like the joe pesci and like goodfellas 
Without him yeah. like stabs the guy in the neck like, with yeah, a, he would always like, just go off. He's like, What do you what do you what do I look like? A clown? Do I amuse you? Yeah, do you find me funny was the way I talk? Yeah. The best part, the best my best Joe Pesci moment is in uh Casino. Uh-huh. Remember when he meets Robert De Niro out in the middle of the in the middle of the desert? Yeah. Because Robert De Niro is the Jewish guy that's running and he starts yeah, and just his rant, it just makes me laugh. Oh, just so listening great. to him, he's it's so just great. it it's just like I just want because you see it and he, it's just, it's funny. I'm sorry. It's, you got it? it? You got it? Oh, yeah. yeah right here. For you. you brought down so much fucking heat on me. I mean, every time I meet somebody, yes. the big question is, do I know you? Oh, sure. And now you want to bring your fucking license on me. <laughs> no, just... Nikki, when you asked me if you could come out here, what did I tell you? I mean, you asked me, and I knew you were going to come out no matter what I said, but what did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you? Back, back do you up, remember back what up I told you? a fucking minute here. One minute. I asked hey. you... When the fuck did I ever ask you if I could come out here? I just love how he get swears. This your head, you never, you, get this through your head, you true. Jew motherfucker. Oh, boy. You only exist out here because of me. That's it. the only reason. Without me, you personally, oh. every fucking wise guy still around. Wise guy. This is the best. Fucking Jew ass. Oh. Where are you going to go? Your fucking warrant. Don't ever go over my fucking head again, you motherfucker. You. <laughs> just, I just think that's great. So uh, awesome. So anyway, so yeah. he was the he was the fighter. Uh he was he was a thief. He you know, he got locked up numerous times throughout his life. He was in juvie, he was like local prison. He actually was in a military prison during his quick stint in the Air Force. He was like, Oh, I'm gonna be a good guy, I joined the military, and then he like got in fights and stabbed some people or something. Of course he did. Yeah. Um during his uh stint in the federal prison, I think he I think he was convicted and he was supposed to serve 20 and I think he only did nine. But during that time, the CIA volunteered him for the, uh, was it the MK ultra experiment mm-hmm. yep. where they basically gave inmates LSD and other like mind altering drugs to help, uh, find Is that out. how they try to create sleeper cells? I don't know. Yeah, I thought the MK ultra was about sleeper cells, like creating sleepers. Putting a mean? subconscious command in the back of somebody's head. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and a, then they, that's a theory. And then when they would hear some sort of trigger, either a song, a sound, something whispered in their ear, whatever, they would carry out like these murders well, or whatever, and have no recollection. Of Charles what they were Manson done. was part of the MK Ultra program, and a, a few <laughs> other notorious <laughs> criminals. And yeah, and there's it kind of there's conspiracy that some school shooters and other mass shooters are part of MK Ultra yeah. that they've been. Because you notice a lot of them, a lot of common theme is a lot of them don't have any recollection of what they did. Yep. And it's crazy. Well, the the government told them that uh, they were trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's, so they were mm-hmm. experimenting with these drugs. Which is why another reason you can't trust the government. Yep. So um, <coughs> so he after that, he was uh, eventually transferred to uh, Alcatraz, so another guy that spent some time there. Um, after getting out, uh, he joined quickly joined a, a local Irish gang, which happened to be involved in some like uh irish gang war type things illegal shit (laughs) so basically the the long and short of it is you know there was multiple irish gangs fighting amongst each other he killed a few people he jumped sides he killed the leader he became the leader (laughs) he killed enough people and he became so rich and powerful that the fbi didn't really know what to do with him so they made him an informant to essentially go after the Italian mafia? No. Yep. Really? Yep. So they turned him and used him to gain evidence 
against the Italian mafia, and I think it led to a bunch of different arrests. You know, you know how that really goes. You know what? I think that topic was the the source of some dialogue that CNN interviewed Whitey Bulger, one yep. of the few interviews that he did. And they asked him about that, I believe. And they're like, you know, hey, they, they talked about him being vocal about the fact that throughout his entire life, no matter what was thrown at him, he was never a rat. Yeah. then they're like, but you're now. But you're an turning. informant. Yeah. And, and CNN interviewed him. And I actually, actually had a clip. Of it. Oh, oh, you yeah. have that? Yeah. There are a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Sure. The first is. Phone interview. That you've told me since the very first day I met you that you've never been an informant. That's correct. Does that mean you've never been an informant in your entire life? Never. As a teenager, I took many a beating at the police stations, and I never cracked. As a bank robber, I was captured. I pled guilty to free the girlfriend that I was with, and I got a 20-year prison sentence, first offender. Hmm. In prison, I was part of an escape plot. I had a guard bring me in hacksaw blades. The plot fell apart. I spent months in the hole. I went through a lot there. And after four months for punishment, they sent me to Alcatraz. And that was it. I never, never, never cracked. Yeah. Huh. But then he turned on the... But then he turned on the rest of the mob. Organized crime. That, yeah. Yeah. And and that's why a lot of the conspiracies, that that's why he was killed in prison. Well, it makes, it makes some, a lot of sense because even as he was an FBI informant, the Boston police, along with the DEA and Mass State Police, they started an investigation against him because he, they thought, like, he compromised the FBI and he was he was compromised. So, you know, he was dirty then, too, obviously. I mean, he's been like that his entire life. So, uh, fortunately for him, he was tipped off and he was able to evade his arrest for another 16 years. Jesus. Up until it was like the late 90s or something like that yeah. and he was like an 81 year old man living i think it was in california in like a retirement community mm-hmm. with like money stashed underneath his, underneath his bed living almost in poverty like very simple life not spending any money just hiding out i remember i remember seeing it on the news yeah Yep. You, that, that, this old guy they found whatever and all the putting there like what's going on they said yeah that's Whitey Bulger that's living in that house yeah, like, no so, shit I mean, just living in some community little kids next door hey boys a murderer a mur- yeah it's cold blooded murderer Cold like like a yeah yeah, like whole blooded hey, murder. Hey Johnny, how's the boys? You know, just <laughs> yeah. like hey, Mr. Smith, he's such a sweet guy. Yep, Next yep. thing you know, he's getting locked up because he murdered eighty people. <laughs> I mean, essentially, he was you know he was hiding out. It was either live a simple life, and, and you know he grew up that way, so it's it's like he understood it. But he you know he kept himself clean and out of trouble, and for sixteen years until they found him. Uh, I. Was he one of the stories where like they found him because of like DNA or something like there was some, some, some weird thing? Yeah, yeah like he just randomly popped up. Uh, so he got locked up, got put away in uh, federal prison. Uh, he it, his uh, hearing went through for like it was like two or three years. Um, he what was it parole? I think that was called when they let you. Yeah, so he refused parole because he knew like he went somewhere. It's like he was going to get killed. Yeah, like, he he knew he was really hiding. He was hiding from everybody in prison and out of prison. <laughs> Um, so he was found guilty on 48 charges, including 19 murders. So that's what he was guilty of. He was of. guilty of. That's, that's the stuff what, he got convicted of. That's what he got convicted of. <laughs> so that's not, so they, the judge gave him, uh, he was sentenced to two lives in prison plus five years. 
just in case. So when you die, <laughs> you're going to stay five more years. Five more years. We keep you in the box. We'll make sure we'll you're take dead. Take you up. Make sure you're dead. We do another year, another life. We're going to put you on ice <laughs> for five years, and then we're going to bury you. <laughs> just to make sure you don't wake up. So after he was convicted, uh, they transferred him to a prison, I think, in West Virginia. And he was an old man at this time. He was like 83, 84 years old, and he was in a wheelchair. And he made it hours in that hours and they killed him. within that prison like like they took his fingerprints and gave him his uniform hey here's your bed and he was dead yeah, go make your bed i'm not gonna make my okay. <laughs> so they they bludgeoned him to death well, i'm sure he deserved uh, it it they say it was three people i think two eventually were released you didn't even need to three people to bludgeon him in a wheelchair yeah and the guy the guy that they i don't know what happened in the end result but he was an italian uh hit man so Makes a lot of sense. Capiche? Yeah, capiche. <laughs> oh, Whitey oh, Bulger. Whitey you Bulger. did it. I mean, good for you. Most Whitey. of these guys, that's just like that's your your life expectancy. Is I mean, what what is it like to be a mobster? Oh man, I'd at love any to be a point mobster. of time. But that's, I would have loved to have been a mobster back but then. That's most likely how you're going to die. You're going to get shot, or you're going to get stabbed. Probably but it's going to be quick. <laughs> Live by the sword, and die by the sword. That's the I, way it goes, uh, you know? Yes, man. I want to be an enforcer. That's what And I you're definitely be. going down getting stabbed a thousand times. Yeah, whatever, but you're stabbing too. You just got to stab quicker. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> is, is it time to go yet? I think it's time, Dave. I think you're right. It is Turning. Time. Yeah. So, well, anyway. So, anyhow. WhiskeyGuysLive.com. See us on the face page. Yep, the Instagrams. Um, what else? The TikToks. The TikTok. Oh, yeah. The, don't forget the TikToks. Those are don't fun. forget the interwebs. The interwebs as well. In your best Italian accent. Don't forget the interwebs. <laughs> and the TikToks. And the, and the TikToks on the first page. <laughs> anyway, so listen to us. WhiskeyGuysLive at gmail.com. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Peace, love, and anal grace. And forget about it. <laughs>